I know I always say this, but aren't you glad to be here already? Yeah, it's just been an amazing morning. It'll continue to be that. I believe God has a purpose for us, and I'm just so grateful to be a part of Vertical Church. Heather and I are grateful uh, for all the cards and uh, expressions of appreciation uh, from last week. For those of you during Pastor Appreciation Month who said something, we couldn't be more thankful and humbled by the fact that God has placed us here at this time for this purpose. And I'm just, uh, I wake up grateful every day for the opportunity we have to be here for this time. What a day to be a believer in these United States. What a time to put into practice the very faith that we proclaim. And what an opportunity before us. I know sometimes uh, Christians discount elections. We stand with an opportunity now, and many of you have already taken that opportunity. I have and Heather has to vote already because we are choosing local leaders, county leaders, state leaders, U.S. Congress leaders, and a president. And in doing so, we are not just choosing a person or a personality. We are choosing a worldview. We are choosing a vision. We are choosing the direction for the future of not just our lives, but our children and their children and their children. And I want them to know freedom. I want them to know blessing. And so with all of that, we are choosing a way of life. And therefore, as Christians, it's important that we face that decision with a clear understanding of the kind of life that God calls us to. You and I are citizens of these United States with a responsibility to vote, and we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven with the responsibility to be the salt and light and voice of God in our nation. I can't think of any more definitive way to do that than casting a vote for the direction of our nation. This is our opportunity to say, this is what we believe as the life God has for us. And we will vote then based on that. I will say up front, as I said last week, I am not here in this series and in this service to promote a specific candidate or party. I am here to proclaim the word of God that speaks specifically about issues of relevance in our day. And we're going to see that God's truth and politics collide. And where they do, we must be the ones who speak the truth in that moment. Amen? So that is how we have come upon this series, Pick a Side. God always calls his people to choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. We have that opportunity before us to speak light into the darkness, to speak values and vision, to speak into the culture. Therefore, we do not take this decision lightly. This is not a high school yearbook popularity contest. 
I'm not choosing someone to babysit my kids. I'm not choosing someone to be my, fr- my best friend. I'm choosing someone who will represent the values most closely that I believe the Bible calls us to. Amen? Amen. Some would say the church should stay out of politics. I'm sorry, but you're wrong. We are called to make a difference in this world. Politics have become evil because the church has been kicked out of politics. I'm ready to redeem what has been lost. I'm ready to shine light into the darkness. I believe that if we do not participate, we are actually violating a holy calling that we have as believers. Some would say, well, but I'm only one voice. Yes, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a voice empowered by the word of God. You are empowered by the spirit of God. And last time I looked throughout scripture, God always used one voice and he spoke through it powerfully. Some would say, well, uh, you know, it's really not going to make a difference what I do. Last time I checked in scripture, the difference is not up to us. The obedience is up to us. God is the one who makes the difference thereafter. So I will do that. Faith demands we bring every area of our life and our culture to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I do not believe in the misrepresentation, deception, and lie that our culture has told us that there is a separation between the church and the state that should keep the church out of the state. If you go back and check history, you'll find that those words were originally penned to keep the state out of the church so that those early founding fathers who had come out of a kingdom where the state had determined what their religion would be, how they would worship, they wrote so they would ensure that that would not happen again, that in this country there would be freedom to worship freely. So that clause written, that phrase, separation of church and state, was to keep the state out of the church, to keep the state out of our expressions of faith, to keep the state from telling us that we cannot pray at high school football games, to keep the state from telling us that there can't be a nativity scene on public property, to keep the state from telling us that Jesus can't be mentioned in public gatherings, to keep the state from telling us that students cannot quote Bible verses or mention the name of Jesus in a high school graduation speech. We have all twisted it here in our country, and it's time that it be redeemed. The laws of this land were given to protect believers. They were given to protect churches so that the church might be free to preach a message from God's word so that we would not be told as a church where we can and cannot go, what we can and cannot say. For too long, the church has cowered to the pressure to keep its faith in a box on a Sunday morning, on a building, on a property called a church. And it's, it's been too long. And it's time we stand. As a result, we have seen the removal of faith from our culture. The removal of the Ten Commandments from the walls and halls of public buildings. And as a result, what have we gotten? Public halls and walls filled with corruption, filled with dishonesty, and filled with immorality. 
When they removed prayer in the Bible from the halls of education, what did we get? Drugs, sexual promiscuity, rebellion, confusion, because you remove God from the setting. What happened when we removed God from political platforms, when the name of God could no longer be mentioned, when the Bible was no longer quoted? Those platforms became filled with a demand for protection of immorality, perversion, and hate be protected by law. Those times now need to come to an end. The Bible speaks to the whole of life. Sadly, for many in the church, they have fallen prey to these same pressures. Even within the church, many have said, well, you know, I have my faith, but I just keep it private, just for me. I don't even like to sing out loud at church. It's that private to me. I get those who are introverted. But let me tell you, your faith was never meant to be kept private. It's supposed to be public. Please do not fall from the pressure from the culture that says stay in your box, Christian. Be quiet, Christian. Be private, Christian, and stay out of this world. That could not be any further from the truth. The Bible says trust in the Lord with all your heart. Every area is to be brought to his lordship. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Every part of your ways. Your Sunday morning, your Monday morning, your Tuesday afternoon, your Wednesday night. I don't care where you are on Thursday night at 2 a.m. That is where you live out your faith. I don't care where you are on Tuesday afternoon at 3 p.m. That is where you live out your faith. You do it in the church house. You do it in your own house. You do it in the workhouse. You do it wherever you go. This is the life that we are called to. When the Apostle Paul was attempting to encourage a very young pastor named Timothy in the New Testament, encourage him to be a leader who was strong, encourage him to be one who encouraged his people to speak out in, this, in their faith, the Apostle Paul sent a message to him. He said, Timothy, I want you to know this about who you are and who we are as the church. Look at these words from 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 3. The Apostle Paul wrote, you are the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Paul said, you, we, have been given the responsibility to speak truth, to stand out, to deny the lie of culture that says true for you but not for me. There is one truth and one truth alone. You either fall on it or it falls on you. And we are called to speak out that truth even when it might be difficult for us, even when it might be inconvenient for us. The Hebrew midwives in the Old Testament early on were called by the law to kill every baby boy that was born. They said, we cannot go against our convictions and what we know is true. We will not take the life of that baby when it is born because they value God's law as supreme over any law of man. When Daniel in the Old Testament was told that it was against the law for him to pray to a God, Daniel continued to, 
in his daily regimen of praying, even though it would, in the short run, cost him. The scripture is filled with men and women who chose to pick a side, who chose to not be in the middle, who chose to not stay in the gray, who chose to stand up, to speak out against truth or against lies with the truth. They spoke confidently and they spoke boldly, even when the truth was being suppressed by those outside. The New Testament says in Romans 1.18 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. There is an attempt today to suppress the truth, to silence the church, to tell you to be quiet, get back in your home, and stop all this Bible talk. For that reason, as part of our Pick a Side series today, our message is called Faith Demands That We Stand and Speak Out. Congress knew these truths early in the formation of our nation. Biblical values have always been at the core of our nation. In 1854, our own United States Congress penned these words. Had the people during the revolution had a suspicion of any attempt to war against Christianity, that revolution would have been strangled in its cradle. In this age, there can be no substitute for Christianity. That was the religion of the founders of the republic, and they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants. That's 1854, not 2020. But those words ring true today. We were founded on the principles of Scripture I'm sorry if you attended an institution of education that taught you differently. I'd encourage you to be back tonight to hear David Barton as he speaks about the Christian heritage of our nation and the application that we must make into our culture today. More about that later. So what we started last week as part of our series was what I called eight truths that demand we speak. We covered the first two. Because in this election, there are a lot of issues on the table. And the thing I've noticed is that depending upon your worldview, you have a different set of which issues are more important to you. As Christians, there should be some that stand out to us as primary. The first two we looked at last week to me, stand as primary. The first of those truths was this. God designed life to begin in a mother's womb. Taking that life is murder. You can't get more foundational than that. This is rooted in the very heart of the commandments God gave. This is rooted in his own creation for us. This, this truth alone is so foundational and so essential that some of the others almost don't have any relevance if you can't align with this one. That's why it was number one for us. 
There are two parties today who view this truth very differently. There's one party who would like to allow the murder of babies even up to the day of birth under the guise of a woman's choice. There's another party who seeks to protect the life that God created. Truth number two that we looked at last week. God designed two genders, male and female. Marriage is for them only. Anything else is a distortion of his glory. The culture would like for you to believe today that gender is fluid, that it is constantly changing, that gender is not determined by genetics and your birth design given to you by God, but it's determined by your emotional status in the moment. Some would like you to believe that a child, even as early as eight years old, can choose his own gender direction. Two parties, two different directions, two philosophies. We must pick a side. Today, we look at truths number three and four that should shape the choice that we make. Please, do not fall for this culture's deception that would pull this election into something akin to high school popularity contest. Most likable, most handsome. Truth number three. God's calling of the church to assemble and to action is essential. We must stand against being marginalized. This is a truth. God has called his people to gather. This is an essential truth in scripture. The church has a role. The church has a function. And the culture today would like us to be marginalized. It's a clever new word, but you know what it means. If you open a book or if you have a piece of paper and you're writing that space around the outside, that area where nothing is on a notebook paper, that side that's to the left of the pink line, you know, where the holes used to go when you had notebooks, that kind of thing. You know, the edges on the other side over there that's, you know, there's nothing else beyond that, and you leave a little space, that space at the top, that space at the bottom, those are the margins. And the culture would like to say, church, get on out of the middle. Get on out of the important text. You, you need to stay off over on the side. Get off into the margins. Go do your thing. Get off in your building and have your worship, but keep it there and be quiet. God has called his people to gather and to action. Boy, we're seeing a lot of pressure these days against the church. We've seen the power of social media, even this week, attempting to censure certain voices from the culture. You do know that when you post something on social media, not everybody in your feed sees that. Did you know that? Did you know that just because you posted, not all of your friends just saw what you posted? You see, social media has a way of throttling and controlling what you post. 
Just check with your friends one day. Ask them if they saw that post of yours. You don't see all of your friends. You see a group of your friends. And you are not the one who controls what you see. You are being controlled to see what they want you to see. So be careful, be alert, be smart. The free exchange of ideas and truth is under attack in our nation today. And the agenda does not favor us. The agenda favors the anti-Christian, anti-biblical worldview. Speak out against what the Bible calls sin and you'll find what you posted possibly removed, but for certain throttled. Speak out in rebellion, rebellion and mob mentality today. Oh, you'll get a lot of share. You'll get a lot of free reign. But up against this resistance, we still speak. We still gather. Reaction should never cause us to stop our action as a church. And the church has faced much in recent years. In Tampa, Florida, an ordinance was recently passed that bans biblical counseling that seeks to free people from homosexuality. You cannot tell someone that that is not God's design or sin. You are banned from that. Colorado passed a similar law, adding the stipulation that requires therapists to affirm the LGBTQ lifestyle, even if it goes against their own convictions. There is a push today for any church, charitable organization, Christian school or college that affirms biblical views on marriage and gender that they should lose their tax-exempt status. Churches today are being told that their message from the Bible is hate speech and should be silenced. Religious statues across our land are being torn down without any protection from civil authorities, all the while protecting the right of the mobs to tear them down. There's increasing legislation being brought to the Supreme Court in an attempt to silence the church. For the first 100 years of our nation's history, there were zero cases heard by the United States Supreme Court concerning religious liberty. Zero. None. But since 1940, 75 cases have been brought regarding school prayer, prayer in the legislature, religious land use, the distribution of religious literature, and the choice of conscience. Churches are being silenced and shut down for extended periods of time in our country today during the COVID virus crisis. I realize there's lots of opinions on that matter.
but the rulings do not match the statistics. There is a plot, there is a plan to silence the church. In California, the Department of Health just recently issued these guidelines for gathering. No more than three households are permitted to gather. The host should collect the names of all attending along with contact information. You can go inside to use the restroom at these locations as long as they have been properly sanitized. You must remain at least six feet away from others. You must wear a mask. You must not stay more than two hours. And singing, chanting, and shouting are strongly discouraged. Government ruling. I'm all for safety and health and wise protection. I am not for government control of the church in this world today. Amen? In Michigan, churches have been deemed non-essential, while abortion clinics are deemed essential, listen, because they are deemed life-sustaining services. It doesn't make sense. It fits an agenda. In Greenville, Mississippi, Temple Baptist Church decided to offer drive-in services because many in their congregation were elderly and not able to access online church. So they began to meet as members of the congregation drove up for a drive-in church experience where the members of the congregation stayed in their car. The police showed up, began issuing $500 fines for anyone attending while sitting in their car. The pastor, who had been in ministry for 45 years, told the city, get your tickets book ready, boys. We're going to be preaching on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. Amen. The mayor faced multiple lawsuits, and he soon reversed his decision. Mm. Our nation's First Amendment speaks to this issue. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. I didn't make that up. That is in our own amendments for our nation. Our nation's founding fathers spoke to this issue. Benjamin Franklin said, and by the way, if you were to make a scale of, of founding fathers most uh, religious, Benjamin Franklin would have been at the lower end of that scale, said, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And Scripture speaks to the issue as well. In the book of Acts, chapter 5, Peter and the disciples had been preaching the gospel and seeing miracles. They'd seen God doing a lot. But the governing authorities at the time, which included the Sadducees, the religious governmental leaders, 
did not like their message, did not like them preaching about Jesus. So the Sadducees had them arrested, put in prison. An angel showed up in the middle of the night, opened the prison doors, and told them to go and preach in the temple. The religious and government officials brought them in again and questioned them. And they said this to them. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? Didn't we just tell you, stop teaching in the name of Jesus? Didn't we just tell you that that is offensive in our culture? Didn't we just warn you? Didn't we just press charges against you? Didn't we just arrest you? Peter and the disciples responded and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. This truth applied in that day as it applies in our day. There are laws of the land, but there is a law that's from God. There are those who lead in our land, but there is a leader who is over them. And that leader is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are accountable to him first before we are accountable to anyone. And when there is a law that says, church, you cannot, and there is a command from Jesus that says, church, you shall, then we are always going to side with Jesus on the matter because we ought to obey God rather than man. We're not here to just have a Sunday morning entertainment opportunity for you. We are essential because souls are essential. Your relationship to God is essential. The heart condition that you and I have is essential and more important than our physical health or life. I want to see souls saved in our neighborhood more than I want to see them just safe. That's our purpose. That's our calling. I want them to be safe. I wouldn't want anyone to be sick. There are people within our own congregation who have contracted the virus. And there are some who have said, hey, it was almost like having a cold. And there are others who've said, no, it's like having the flu seven times over. So I pray for them and for all that there might be safety. And there is a necessity for being wise. But there's also a necessity for protecting the freedoms that we have. As the church, we have one Lord, and he is in heaven, and he makes the calls. And what we are called to do, we will do with the promise that as we do it, not even the gates of hell will stand against us. So when you vote, consider carefully which party, which platform which vision is going to protect the church and its freedoms and its mission? Because we have something bigger called upon us 
than just gathering on a Sunday morning. We are called to go into all the world and make disciples. And we will carry out that mission. We will teach and we will preach because we believe that there is a vertical way of life for living in every area of life. There's a vertical way to live out your marriage, your finances, your parenting, your work on the job, your driving down the highway, your interaction with your spouse, your communication, the hurts that you go through. All of those are found for us in Scripture, and we proclaim and teach that way of life that Jesus has poured out himself for us, and now we're going to live for him. But truth number four as part of our eight truths is this, is that God calls believers to express their faith. No earthly authority is greater than this command. The church is to be granted freedom, but you and I individually have been called to live out our faith. You have not been called by God to keep it private, secluded, and away from others. You have been called to lift him up and live him out in every area of life. And you should have the freedom to choose how you live that out. You should have the freedom to choose when you will pray, when you will read your Bible, and that not be dictated by the state. You should have the freedom to choose how you will carry out and express your faith, not be dictated by the state. You should have the freedom to act on your convictions, things you will do and not do, and not be told by the state what you have to do or cannot do. Matters of conscience are supreme. Our founding fathers knew that that the highest virtue in the land is for the people to act out of a God-inspired conscience. And if that comes to an end, woe for our land. And when the government takes over that role and begins to tell you, here is what you will think, here is what you will choose, here is what you will support, here is what you must do, then the founding fathers knew we had just returned to what we left from in England. There are two distinct party platforms today in regards to personal expression and your own convictions of conscience. One party would want to force doctors to perform abortions against their own religious conviction while the other seeks to protect doctors and support their freedom of conscience and conviction. One party wants to force doctors to perform sex reassignment surgeries against their own convictions while the other seeks to protect a doctor's expression of conviction and freedom. One party wants to force individuals and business owners to follow government mandates instead of their own convictions. Jack Phillips in Colorado owned a bakery. Out of conviction, he made a decision 
to not bake a cake for a wedding of a homosexual couple. Colorado Civil Rights Commission cited him as being in error. The case went all the way to the Supreme Court, who eventually voted seven to two in favor of the baker's rights, saying that his First Amendment rights were being violated in requiring him to serve the couple in that event. Freedom of conscience allows you to choose to act out of conviction. One party wants to take away those freedoms and rights. One party wants to support the social media group Prager U. P-R-A-G-E-R capital U. This group is pro-Israel, anti-abortion, pro-Ten Commandments, promotes two genders, condemns the persecution of Christians, and has 4.1 billion views online. But they have been throttled. They have been controlled. One party wants to shut them down. One party wants to provide freedom for them to speak their voice. Expression of conviction and faith is central for us. And what must happen for a generation to maintain those freedoms is for a generation to pray and stand for those freedoms. Much of what we are losing in recent years has been because the church has gotten lax. We've gotten comfortable. We've, we have pulled in within the, our own walls. We have said it's private, not a public matter. We have said, I'm just going to be quiet because I don't want to offend anybody. We have caused where we are today. And what it takes in every generation are men and women, young men and women of faith, older men and women of faith, who will stand for truth. The book of Daniel describes many situations where people of faith said, I will stand for what is true, even if it costs me. In Daniel chapter 3, we find three young men. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, actually names given to them by a foreign country. And they were told they have to bow down to a worldview. They have to kneel to an altar, an idol, a philosophy, a vision for life that was far removed from their version of faith and the truth. And the law demand that they all gather, all the inhabitants, and that when the music played, everyone would bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we cannot give in to the laws of this land. We cannot act against our conviction. We cannot, even though it is culturally popular and will cause us to face 
Not just imprisonment, but death. The sentence was that they would be thrown into a fiery furnace. History records that they stood for their faith, and Nebuchadnezzar did exactly what he promised. He threw them into the fire for their life to end so that he might make an example of them to others. Don't go against my laws and the culture. Up against the threat, the three men said this, Daniel 3, verse 18. Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. We're not doing it, king. Apply the pressure. Make a law. Put the, put the consequences out there. We will not bow. There's a point of conviction, and we will not cater to you. There's a point of conviction, and we will not cave in. We will stand. No matter what it may cost us, we will not bow. If you've been around church for some time, you know what happens next. Three men are thrown into the fire. The fire is turned up. Nebuchadnezzar looks in. He still sees three men and a fourth. And the fourth one looks like the son of God. And the men are not burned up. And he calls them to bring them out. And he brings all four of them out. And the Bible says that their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. God kept them safe through all of it. And when they come out, Nebuchadnezzar, who made the law, who enforced the law, who was looking to enforce a worldview, when he saw these men stand for truth and God blessed them, look at what happens next. That Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. All of a sudden, a wicked man became a worshiping man because he saw three men stand for their faith. And that wasn't all. Nebuchadnezzar was changed in his heart, but it didn't just touch a little part of his heart. It touched everything. It touched what he did. Because in verse 29, it says that Nebuchadnezzar wrote, therefore, I make a decree. In other words, I am going to change the law of the land. Whoa. You see, faith and politics always have an intersecting point. And it's at the place that you and I will stand in faith and say, we will not Nebuchadnezzar went on and changed the law. He said, if anybody speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their house is going to be burned to a pile of ashes. And they will be removed from this life. I'm sparing you the graphic details because there's children in the room. My point is this. When men and women of faith will say, we will not bow, and we'll be willing to stand, 
no matter the cost, it causes the world to take notice. And that is when God moves and speaks. At the end of that, Nebuchadnezzar told the reason why he did all of this. He said, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Nebuchadnezzar had seen a lot of things in worship of the gods, but he had never seen anything like this. In our land today, it's critical that you and I get off of the sideline, which is also the margin, and get in the middle of the field. Stand up for truth. Choose the platform that will give you those freedoms to speak of your convictions personally and will support the church in its freedom. These are biblical truths, not just political truths. Because before I'm politically right, I want to be biblically right. If you want to come talk to me about politics, that's great. But I'm going to start asking you some questions about your biblical worldview if we're going to talk about your political worldview. Because it has to start with Scripture, not just your opinion, not just your feelings, not what your family has always done, but what the Bible says. Now, it's all pretty heavy so far, right? It is. But I want to tell you some good news, some great news. I keep up with David Barton, who will be here tonight. I I can't emphasize enough how much you're going to want to be here for this. I recognize you may have never heard the name David Barton before. You've got some time between now and this evening. Go to YouTube, type it in, watch a video of him. And you are going to be, I think, in awe at his information that he has about the history of our nation, its formation on biblical principles, and how we can live those out today. He was, uh, I was watching something just very, very recent where he was talking about some significant changes that are happening even today, today, that support Christians and churches in being free. And he goes back and he tells the story. He said, in 1947, the Supreme Court reversed this idea that I talked about earlier of the separation of church and state. Up until that time, it had been clearly understood that it was the intent that the state stay out of the church. In 1947, the Supreme Court shifted that and said, no, the the church needs to stay out of the state. Church needs to stay in its box and be silent. It wasn't many years later. In fact, in 1962, prayer was removed from the public school system. 1963, Bible reading removed from the public school system. The erosion began because of a decision. In 1973, David Barton says, the Supreme Court made a statement. They said, from now on, 
We will measure whether things are constitutional regarding religious activity if they can prove, listen to this, if the religious activity can prove to have secular benefit. You can do something religious if it's secular. What? That even makes sense. It doesn't. And as a result, Christians and churches have been losing the battle one after another at the Supreme Court and local state levels as well. That's why you don't see prayer at high school football games. That's why you don't see manger scenes at county courthouses. That's why the name of Jesus is not spoken in public settings. That's why we have seen this erosion to the point that cities that have had long-standing city seal, you know, most cities have a seal, you know, that says their name and there's something about that, that city on it. Cities across the land that had a cross originally in their city seal lost that freedom and they had to remove the cross. That's been happening for decades since 1973. But David Barton says, things have changed recently in the courts across our land and in our own Supreme Court as well. Perhaps you heard of the case of the World War I memorial in Maryland where there was a large cross set up. This is very, very recent. And the local civil court or circuit court said that the cross should be removed from this public memorial using that old standard that unless it is secular or unless it is religious has a secular benefit, it shouldn't exist. And so they were going to tear the cross down. The case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court did something that hasn't been done in a long time. They reversed the idea. And they say now, as a result of their decision, any long-standing religious activity or symbol can stay unless it is constitutionally proved wrong. Allowing for freedoms, a simple statement, a simple choice where they picked a side, but what has happened since then is beginning to be a snowball of changes. Following that, David Barton in this video I was watching tells that in Florida, there was a similar World War II memorial that had a cross and there was some reaction against it. And the court said, you can keep the cross. In Florida also at a high school football game, prayer was being challenged and they said, you can pray now based on this ruling. In Pennsylvania, there was a city seal that had a cross in it. Because of this ruling, they were told, you can now keep the cross. And in veterans' hospitals across our land, there has been a ruling that kept Bibles out of the rooms and common meeting areas. But because of this ruling, the Veterans Administration and the Veterans' Hospitals can now have Bibles in all their rooms and meeting places. The tide is turning. But that did not happen and will not continue to happen unless people of faith stand for their convictions and speak out. It is essential in our day that you and I carefully consider what is ahead of us. 
carefully consider the future, not just for yourself, but for your children and their children and their children. Let us make a choice that is in concert with God's word that our children may see the blessings upon them and their children. What we are seeing today is a promise written in Isaiah 59, verse 19, where God said, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And we have seen the enemy come in like a flood, attempt to silence the truth of God in this land, attempt to rewrite our history, attempt to silence the church. But God is raising up a standard And you know where God does that? He does that in believers. He does that in the places where the Holy Spirit lives, me and you. So if in this day and this time you sense something rising up, God calling you to surrender your whole life to follow him, God calling you to stand up and speak out. God calling you to no longer be marginalized, but you are going to make a choice that has Jesus Christ first in it. That is the Spirit of God lifting up a standard today. And he's doing it. He's doing it in our land. He's doing it right here in this church. Many of you have come and you're new to Vertical within the last months. Been a lot of folks new to vertical. We welcome you because we are passionate to do just what we've been talking about. Lift him up supremely and live him out completely. So I welcome you. I'm glad you're here with us. We believe God is raising up an army, that God is doing something fresh and doing something new. And we're excited, not just about what happens in these four walls but what starts here and now moves out to fill the entire world with the mission of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, it's with deep humility and gratitude that we sit in your presence today knowing what you have given to us and called us to You've called us your church, your bride, ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, the pillar and the ground of truth. God, forgive us for listening to the voices of the world and the enemy and even our own old self that would tell us to sit down, be quiet, and don't offend anybody. God, forgive us. And God, give us courage to act on what you are putting in our heart, to speak truth, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, and to prepare a future for our children and their children and their children in this land. God, we will be your church. We glorify you. And we pray in Christ's name, amen.